a listener production. Okay, are you recording? Greetings one and all. You are listening to episode 108 of the Howie Games Part A. Thank you so much for giving the show some listening love. I really appreciate it. But let's get straight into it this week with a massive, massive cricket name, Wazim Akram. Akram's on his way to him now. Can he do it again? Oh, is that a guy at that one? And he's got it. Yes, he's done it. Wazim Akram's got another hat-trick. This is unbelievable. What a day for Pakistan. An unbelievable day for the record books. Wazim was not only a great cricketer, but also, as you're about to hear, is a fantastic bloke. He has a wicked sense of humour and a real flair for storytelling, whether it be tales about his meteoric rise to international cricket, which is quite extraordinary, winning the World Cup here in Australia, or how to swing the ball both ways, natural or reverse. Yep, that's how good he was. So you search and try to find, but you don't know where to go. So many thoughts flood to your mind You're confused and want to know Mystery, what is to be? So much more than meets the eye Listen to me, time is your key You will find out by and by You are about to hear from true cricketing royalty Enjoy the amazing story of the man dubbed the Sultan of Swing, if you don't mind Wazim Akram So when you search and then you find Know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be Revealed in King Selassie I Come on children, try it with me We want to reach Mount Zion Welcome to the Howie Games A legend of cricket, the man known as the Sultan of Swing World Cup winner when Pakistan won here in Australia Ridiculous amounts of test and one-day international wickets now. Gun commentator and all-round good guy, all the way from Pakistan, Wazim Akram. Was wonderful to see you. How are you today? I'm good, buddy. Good to see you again. And uh, I feel for Victorians, you guys have been through a lot. And I suppose uh, this time shall pass as well. Just stick together. Uh, I suppose be positive and that should be the spirit. I feel for you guys. I love it, mate, and I love the love you have for Melbourne and Victoria, and we'll explore why that is shortly. It's funny you say that the last time I saw you was at the end of the cricket summer at the Junction Oval where you were putting back for Victorians in the bushfire match. You were steaming in against some of the greatest cricketers Melbourne and Australia and the world's ever seen. What a day that was, was, and I think... Melbourne people and Victorian people got a massive lift that the likes of you and Brian Lara and Sachin Tendulkar were coming to our aid. It was a beautiful, beautiful day. Not only cricket stars out here, we've got a rugby league star and Cameron Smith, a couple of AFL stars, Nick Rewalt. The secure footy club bowled him! Walsh knocks over Langer! And the little left-hander from WA tucks his bat under his arm and has to leave the junction over. It really was. It was an incredible day. It was for the uh, for the most important cause at the time. The bushfires, people lost lives, people lost homes, they lost their livelihoods. And I think for us, just to appear and to raise funds for that uh, cause meant a lot that we go, I got invited and I enjoyed every bit of it. Although it took me seven days to recover after that. <laughs> I couldn't move. I couldn't move for three days. If I sneeze or cough, it was hurting all along, man. But it was fun. <laughs> I mean, like I said, I had a great day. It was good to meet all my ex-colleagues I played against, I played with. 
and uh, and you as a commentator were on fire, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> it was a it was a great day. It's a day I'll never forget. You know, sitting next to the likes of you and 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 Sachin and Brian, it was a dream come true for me and for everyone watching. I hope they they got a a view of that. You got a wicket. Your hair looked magnificent. You still steamed in. How long since you'd had a bowl? Because you're in good shape. You're in good shape that day. Akram with his tail up and he knocks over Smith. One legend knocks over no, first another. First ball can't be out. First ball for Cam Smith and he'll get another opportunity. First ball you back out. I thought you said you're going to look after me. I did. Probably, uh, uh, you know, people still ask me this question that uh, do you uh, do you practice? I said, no, I don't practice. I'm almost 55. <laughs> I do train, but I don't move my arm. I don't feel like bowling. But that was after about maybe three, four years I moved my arm. And uh, I, like I said, I struggled for seven days, but enjoyed thoroughly. On and off the field, we got looked after by the cricket Australian cricket board ACB. I've got looked after by every everyone around there. So it was such a important day for all of us. Was while we're talking about you staying fit and healthy, I noticed on Instagram you've been pushing a message about the importance of health and fitness and positivity and motivation, which I've been enjoying. It's really important a message. It's something that links in with this show, but it's obviously something you're pretty passionate about, mate. I am, I am, because uh, we, I come from a culture where lifestyle is not that healthy like you guys, like Australia. I mean, I'm married to one, so I know you guys eat early during the week in generally. You guys sleep early, you guys wake up early. In our part of the world, if somebody invites you for dinner on Tuesday night, you arrive there at nine o'clock at night, they won't be ready. The host won't be ready. So they serve dinner at 12. And by the time you come back home, it's three, two o'clock in the morning and you then you, you won't have the strength. And this is our lifestyle here. And I think that's what I'm trying to change, create awareness among my Pakistani fellows that, you know, eating early, exercise, bit of exercise a day can change you and your health and do wonders with you mentally too. So that's the idea, awareness. That's what I'm trying to do with my young generation. You know, Pakistan, is a population of 220 million people and 65% are below 30. So you can imagine if I give little bit of awareness to this young generation, they can do wonders for themselves and for their country too in the long run. And you were very kind at the start to give your best wishes to Victorians and Melburnians and Australians. How's the situation in Pakistan with COVID? How's it affected your beautiful country? I think we uh, have actually worked very hard on it. Our government did smart lockdowns. And then, of course, the hotspots were proper lockdowns in the beginning. And like I just said, our young generation is 65% are under 30. So the recovery rate was very high. The deaths were very low. So we, we, uh, we are kind of not recovered. It's still there. But you have to be very, very careful. You have to wear a mask wherever you go. I don't go anywhere. It's still looming around, but not as bad as India or America. For frequent listeners to this show, Wazzy, they know I've got two young children. And I always yeah. tell them about the guest. And then they ask a question of the guest. Now, my daughter watched you over the summer but she, well, I'll just play her question. She's 10. Her name is The Pickle. Her name is Sky, but she operates as The Pickle. This, okay. is, her quest- this is her question for you, and then we might explore it a bit. Hopefully you can hear it there in, uh, in Karachi. Hi, Wazzy. Pickle here. Great job on 
Fox Cricket last year with Dad. Anyway, I love travelling. And I've been to Panama, Costa Rica, Africa, Guatemala and Thailand. And I loved going to all those places. And when we were in Guatemala, we climbed a volcano. It was really cool. Have you ever been to the Himalayas? And if I go to Pakistan, what's the one place I should go? Okay. Pickle, that was a very, very valid question. Pakistan is untouched. Our up north is called heaven on earth. It's, uh, it's beautiful. Uh, it's if you Google it, Google place called Hunza, H-U, Hunza, H-U-N-Z-Z-A. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a valley between the Himalayas and the lakes, the rivers. I haven't been there myself. I've been to up north, but not, not to that extreme. But again, if you come to Pakistan, Pickle, first of all, I have to come to Karachi, visit me and Shanira and a little Isla. I've got five-year-old. And then we'll take you up north with us. And with you, I can watch you see, see up north properly as well. It's, it's amazing. It's a very kind offer. I, I've wanted to go to Pakistan a couple of times. I worked in the past with one of your former teammates, Amir Sahail, and he was showing me photos of the northern region, and I didn't realise how green it was. No, whenever uh, you think of Amir Sahail, don't you say, I'm Hail, the great man. <laughs> we do. We do. And we'll get to that. We will get to that. Okay. That's okay. exactly exactly what we would say here. So for you in in Pakistan... Can you, are you like Sachin in India or in Karachi? Can you walk down the street or is that going to cause bedlam? I have no idea the answer. Yeah, I don't think so. I can walk on the street in Karachi, no, or in Pakistan. I think it's just the love people have about cricketers, the heroes, and wherever I go, and especially my wife now, Shanira, she gets recognized uh, because being a six-foot blonde is difficult to get away in Pakistan. <laughs> and plus, she does a lot of charity in this country. Uh, the whole country accepted her uh, and uh, they love her. So me and Shanira, if we go out, we kind of get mobbed in a good way, not in a bad way. And and how do you deal with that? Obviously, I, I know I've seen you with fans and you're so, so respectful and so appreciative. But how do you deal with that fishbowl existence that, that you have, as you've explained to us, in Pakistan, mate. You know, uh, there's no point complaining about it. I remember when I was a young kid, I used to pray when I came into Pakistan team to God that can somebody recognize me? Can somebody will ask for my autograph? And now it all happened. So there's no point complaining about it. This is our life. This is what we this is what we wanted, and this is what I've got. You have to accept it. You have to be nice to people. Okay, you might get frustrated once in a while, but again, that's where your uh, spirit should come in as a character. Look, these these people just love you. They just want your time. They just want your autograph. autograph. Be nice to them. And that's what I do. It's amazing seeing, you know, I'm very privileged at work to, to go to work with some Australian cricket legends. And people come up to them and in, they're in awe of them. But seeing you over the summer and have your countrymen come up to you, it's a whole nother level of reverence. And they, you'll have to correct me here, but is it, it was in Bai they call you? Yeah, Bai means elder brother. Bai actually means brother. Right. But when they call me Vaseem Bhai, it means uh, Vaseem Vaseem elder brother. So it's it's a kind of respect. 
So you've mentioned a couple of times and people will go, oh, he's married to an Australian girl, a Melbourne girl, which a lot of people wouldn't realise. So you're yeah. half Melbourneian, which is um, yeah. absolutely fantastic. How did, that, how did that come to pass? Yeah, I met Shanira when she was about 27, 28 years of age uh, in Melbourne at Friends Barbecue. She had no idea who I was. And obviously she was a pretty girl. And just we just became friends, you know, just became friends. We exchanged our numbers and then I did my magic. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just joking. You know, it's not easy to impress an Aussie girl, by the way, especially that too from Melbourne. So obviously I, we got to know each other. And, you know, I gave this line once to her. I said, look, babes, I'm kind of a big deal in Pakistan. She said, <laughs> she said right, sure, of course you are. Everybody says it. So... From a, there was a, there's a still restaurant called uh, on uh, St. Kilda, Woodhouse. Well, what is the name of that famous restaurant? Got burned down and it's back again. Stokehouse. 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 I took her there and then obviously after that, uh, uh, we came to the taxi stand. And the stand was, the taxis are full of Indians or Pakistanis. And they literally all fell off the cabs for a picture. And that's where she realized that I was a kind of a big deal back home. <laughs> I've got to ask you further to that. At the time, were you wearing your famous internationally branded aftershave, was he, or not? <laughs> no, I was not. I think right. it wasn't on yet. <laughs> right. But yeah, it took me, uh, we then became, we became friends. Then I got in touch with her on mobile, uh, on phone. So I was in Karachi. She was in Melbourne. And then I went to commentate for ESPN Star when India were touring. And then from there onwards, I think uh, uh, we started seeing each other. Uh, and then I brought her to Pakistan uh, just for, you know, a couple of weeks to introduce to the kids, to get to know the culture. And then, uh, you know, I met her parents, my in-laws, great people, Tony Thompson, Greta Thompson. Uh, and I have the sister-in-laws, three sister-in-laws, uh, Lani Thompson, Summer Thompson and Bronte Thompson. And of course, two of them are married as well with kids. So it's a very close-knit uh, family. And uh, when I asked my father-in-law, Tony, yet, you know, I called her about, you know, you know, take, I want to marry your daughter. He said, Waz, I'm fine with it, but only one condition. I said, okay, I, I got a bit worried. I said, Jesus, what sort of condition he's going to ask me? He said, you have to su support and follow St. Kilda <laughs> football. <laughs> so that was part of the deal. So isn't it, isn't it strange that now you are heavily invested in Melbourne and, and Melbourne life and a Melbourne family, obviously the place where you had your greatest cricket achievement, which we'll get to, at the MCG. So do you feel part of Melbourne life and culture? Yeah, I always loved Melbourne even before I met Shanira. For me, Melbourne is a very art city, foodie city, relaxed city. Sydney is beautiful. But Sydney is too much, like any big city, everything is too much happening. Melbourne is laid back, relaxed, beautiful coast on the coast. And, you know, I got to know to Mornington. My in-laws have a place in Mornington. I go there with them on a holiday, go for my runs in the morning, dip in the water. It's water is freezing cold, but yes, I do dip. I do jump in the water. And I got to know the Aussie culture. And it took me about... Uh, a couple of years to get the hang of your accent, Aussie accent. Okay, once in a while, you're okay with it. But when you are, you know, regular terms, you go, beg your pardon, what, what? And then I, then I, then I got the hang of it. 
And how do you go with the Australian <laughs> So I tell you about funny thing about Australia. In 1989, I've got 11 wickets at the MCG, one of my favourite venues. So there's a Bay 23, isn't it? Bay 23, the, the, that, bar, that uh, stand. Bay 13. Bay 13, where everybody gets drunk after four o'clock. Yes. So uh, I was getting wickets and the whole crowd was shouting, Wazim is a wanker in Aussie accent. <laughs> so I thought they were praising me. I, you know, I got pumped up. I said, oh God, I've got fans in Australia. And then, you know, my skipper Imran came up to me. I said, skipper, they are actually, they're liking my bowling. He said, no, Waz, they're saying, he explained it to me in Urdu, what wanker meant. And then I realized, okay. <laughs> and how have you dealt with the Australian tradition? And you would see it at barbecues and et cetera all the time when blokes uh, use derogatory terms in a nice way, as in, uh, what are you talking about, well, Waz, you silly prick, et cetera, like that. How have you dealt with that form of endearment? In the beginning, I used to get a bit offended inside. I said, what the hell? And then I realized that my father-in-law gave me a book on Australian slangs. Ah. And then I got to know it's very normal. Couple of words I can't use, you guys use very regularly. Yes. I can't use it here. No. <laughs> so that, then I got the hang of it. And then I told you the story. My father-in-law came, into, uh, came to see me in Sydney and I have a very small room. And he said, you can't even swing a cat here. And I said, okay, how can you find a cat and then bring a cat to Maroon and then swing it? So, you know, all those things. <laughs> all those things. I, I got hold of it now. Hey, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to where your journey started shortly. There's a couple other things I want to tick off with you before we do. I mentioned the aftershave. You came in a fox cricket uh, last summer, and this was pre-Warney bringing out his aftershave. You were the pioneer in the cricket world. Tell me and tell the people how it is presented, the packaging, what it's called, and what uh, type of fragrance is it, mate, because it's a cracker. Yes, uh, it's, it's called, uh, there the are two bottles. The, the, red, the red bottle is a red cricket ball. It took us a lot of time to design it, a proper cricket ball. And uh, it's called 414. They're my one-day wickets. And then we have the white ball. It's called five or two. My, my, my uh, sorry, my test wickets and one yep. day wickets is five or two. And all the fragrances were made by one of the top uh, uh, perfumers in France. They came to Pakistan. They interviewed me. What sort of food I like? What sort of smells I like? And then they came back with the samples. And then we, you know, used to smell the samples with a coffee bean box. Smell it, smell it. And then eventually we came up with the fragrance. It's doing really well in Pakistan. You can buy it online in Australia too, but it's doing quite well in Pakistan. I gave it all, I presented uh, them to, in England as well. Right. To Nasir Hussain, to Bumble, to everyone. Well, they loved it as well. It's something very different. It's something uh, 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 exciting. And, and I've also got one for the ladies as well. That's also doing very well in Pakistan. Well, I've applied the white ball, the 502 liberally, and it's very, very sharp stuff, Well, so I'll <laughs> let you know. You. It's very, very good. Thank you, buddy. Hey, mate, I, I alluded, and there's no easy way to ask this question, I alluded to the fact that you asked a Melbourneian to be a second wife. Unfortunately, you lost your first wife, and a lot of people don't know this about you, so all of a sudden you are a single father of young men. How does a fella deal with loss and then having to look after young children? 
it's very it's kind of impossible to explain what i've been through i suppose uh, uh, quite a few uh, people in the world probably been through what i've been through as well my boys were 8 and 11 and i was a typical pakistani dad the difference is pakistani dad only see their kids on sundays on saturdays and then they're working and they see them in the evening for 20 minutes it's the mom who does the job who looks after them by their clothes their education their school taking them to friends taking them to play sport i i was traveling i was playing cricket and i was commentating then 2010 and after that uh, i was lost for about a year i was literally lost i had two young boys uh, it was very tough and then i had to move from lahore to karachi because my in-laws are in karachi so i came here that you know their daughter has left the world so their grandkids can live near them and that helped a bit and uh, then i put them to new school uh, uh but first two years was very very tough and then of course after three for three and a half years or four years i met shanira we got married and she got very close to the boys she looked after them their school uh, their education uh, their friends taking them to soccer and uh, they became very close and very good friends so shanira and my in-laws in australia have been a great great help to raising my kids up but first two years hoy but really really tough mentally physically psychologically those were tough times man what did you learn about yourself was in that period you you go through so much in a sporting environment but this is a completely different set of emotions yeah uh, i realized about myself that i'm quite resilient and one thing i learned that life has to go on life's got to go on if i was at if if imagine my late wife if it was me who gone and my late wife i wanted her to move on as well with life because i wanted to have a healthy life i wanted my kids to see that dad is happy and relaxed mm. then they grow up beautifully and they have one is 19 one is 23 he studied uh, finished his college in america he is working there now and younger one can't go back to la because of covid so he's going to take online classes uh, he went last year to la and now he's here at home so he's going to take online online classes from next week next week but it was tough i mean it's it's can you can't, can't explain these things in words back to wasim in a moment if you could all do me a favor that would be fantastic and please check out the new additions to our show the player profile which has got some lighthearted stuff in it about our guests as they answer life's biggest questions which you will not hear in the main part of the show including the fact that wasim doesn't leave home without his hair dryer that's in his player profile as well as our latest gear the howie games hotline where your questions are answered about anything by me hopefully have a listen to a couple of the hotline editions see what you think and then maybe send in your own questions to the hotline on the number which is 0434694301 that 0434694301 you can leave us a voice message you can text us a message you can send us whatsapp messages if you're overseas check out the show notes of the hotline editions and you'll find out how it all works all right next up on the show I'm not actually sure only because we are recording with some cracking guests this week and I'm not exactly sure which one will come first. All righty, back to Woz. 
I saw photos over the summer that you showed me of your young blokes and showing me where they were and what they were doing. And the first thing I noticed, like their dad, very good hair was. Very yeah. <laughs> good hair, those two young men. They're, they're tall, both of them six foot two, my height. And yes, they got a good set of hair. That's, they got it from me, definitely. <laughs> All right, if we finally get to the point of where did it start, I'm fascinated by the pathway that you have to the top in Pakistan cricket. But before we get to that, mate, where were you born? Tell me a little bit about your family's history. Yeah, I was born in Lahore. Uh, uh, and obviously, I had uh, three siblings. Uh, we have three brothers and younger sister. Uh, one is Naeem, he's the eldest. Second one is Nadim. And then I'm the third one, Vaseem. Uh, kind of a rhythmic name my parents picked up. Naeem, Nadim, Vaseem. <laughs> and then Sophia. <laughs> Sophia, my younger sister, she lives in Canada. And my one brother also lives in Canada. And uh, my eldest brother lives in Lahore. I live in Karachi. My dad uh, is no more. My mom lives in Lahore as well. And then, yeah, that's what uh, I, my background was uh, kind of, uh, my, my dad was quite well off. And then obviously my parents got divorced when I was very young. So I lived with my mom, with my grandmother in inner Lahore, inner city of Lahore, in a small house, in one room. And that's where I was grown up. So yeah, uh, uh, it, was, it was fun. It, it wasn't tough. Completely random question. Sure. When you would tour, I, as a young man, as a 9 or 10 or 11-year-old, would look at the scorecard and I could never quite understand the naming situation because <laughs> it was Imran Khan, but on the scoreboard he wasn't I Khan, it'd be Imran or you'd be Wazim, but then other guys would have their first name and their second name. Can, can you explain that to me? Is that a quirk of translation or no? Yeah, I think we use a second, but Wazim Akram. Wazim is my name, Akram is my dad's name. Right. So my first name is our name. Imran is Imran's name and Khan is his dad's name. So if Babar Azam, for instance, nowadays, Babar is his name, Azam could be his dad's name. So surnames are dad's name mostly. The first name is your name. So that's how it works in our part of the world. Right. So on the names, you mentioned it earlier on when you mentioned, uh, I mentioned Amir Sahail. And the world has changed, Was So I'm very sensitive especially in this country, about uh, terms not being derogatory to anyone. Sure, but sure. In the in the 80s and the 90s, the Pakistani cricket team became even more famous due to the 12th man tapes done by Billy Birmingham. Are you yeah. cool with this and to talk about this or is this something... I, like, do you look at it as fun, a... I enjoyed those tapes. I, was, I used to laugh at it. We right. used to play on in a Pakistan dressing room. So you'd, you'd play... For us, it was just a... It was a comedy. It wasn't aimed at a single person for a single reason. It was just a comedy. And I think you should take that. Uh, we, we took as a comedy. We never got upset about it at all and still don't either. I, I think it was one of the best comedies in cricket comedies. Uh, everybody loved it. Everybody laughed about it. My name was Wazi Akrim. <laughs> so I'm fine with that. And then he comes again now to bowl to Akim Atif in a job beside the bed. He plays that one out towards cover point. They're going for a single here. What do you mean? Wazzy's going to have to hurry the throw from DJ Tips for Stumps and Wazzy run out without scoring. Of course he was running out without scoring, Tony. You're well, that's what I just said, Bill. Was he out, you stupid? What do you mean, was he out, Tony? Look at the replay.
So how often, uh, when you're rolling around Melbourne or around the world, are blokes calling out to you, was he a crim? Quite a few times in Australia. They, they say, was he a crim? <laughs> and I just say, hey guys, how are you? <laughs> but that should be the spirit. I understand we live in a different world right now. People are very sensitive. But there should be a little, little bit of fun involved. It's fun. It was funny. It was hilarious. And uh, there's no point getting serious about it. I mean, this, that's me though, as a person. Yep. I'm very easy going in life. I can take joke and I can give back at, to people as well. But that's what it is. So it became enormous. Did, did, like you said you guys listened to it. Do you remember the first time you heard it? Was like on a team bus or did someone play it to you? Or how did you come across it? I think first time I heard it in Lancashire dressing room, if I remember. And first, for first three days, I couldn't <laughs> understand a word what was he saying. Okay, let me tell you, you Aussies don't speak English, you speak Aussie. Yes. Okay? <laughs> you guys speak Aussie and you guys speak so fast. So I have a story. It was me and one of our great batsmen were batting in Sydney Test in 96. He was batting on 90 odd and I was batting at the other end. I was the captain and uh, Mark Waugh, uh, Junior speaks even quicker than anyone else as yes. an Aussie boy. Uh, Shane Vaughan, Glenn McGrath was having a go at that batsman going past and saying the C word very fast, something like that. So I could, I, I could understand. So I went to, I went to up this batsman. I said, look, please don't get upset. Don't throw a wicket. These guys are abusing you. Uh, so he said, really? I have no idea what they're saying. So if you're going to abuse someone to from Asia, just go slow guys on cricket field. <laughs> just speak slow. <laughs> All right, we'll get back. We'll get back to your young years. So what's your first memories of cricket? Were you a cricket mad kid? Did it come across your sphere? Did you have heroes? And I've been lucky enough to do one of these podcasts with Mikey Holding, and he was telling me about his early introduction to playing cricket and what was involved. What was a young Wazi Makra and what type of cricket was he playing? I'm fascinated by it. I really am. I I played kind of every sport if it was a, uh, uh, say, Cricket season, I played cricket. I used to want, I wanted to be a table tennis player. Thank God I didn't. <laughs> and uh, then I played basketball for school as well. Uh, basketball. And then cricket, obviously, was, I, I, like I said, I was grown up. When I was 13, my parents got divorced. So I was living in a very uh, sort of a humble kind of background with my grandmother. So there were no grounds around us. We used to play on the road. It's the roadside. Traffic is going. We are the, you know, we had this... Uh, old chair as, as stumps. One side there was a brick. We used to play with the tennis ball. We used to uh, wet, put tape on the tennis ball, wet it in a, in a bucket and then bowl on the road. And every day, I used to play cricket every day after my school. I was in school cricket team too. And uh, uh, my story is very uh, unique. My first first class game was against New Zealand, a three day game. And my fourth first class game was a test match for Pakistan. So I got picked up out of the blue. I don't know how it happened. And uh, I never played first class before. My first job was with the cricket job was uh, 600 rupees a month. I think it was in 84. It was probably $3 a month. I was happy with that. It was good enough money for me then. (laughs) So and then I got picked up for Pakistan team. Wow. And I remember when I was going to New Zealand, uh, when we landed in Christchurch in 1985, I'd never been abroad before. And obviously, when I landed, I was hungry. 
I had started looking for a curry, you know, chicken curry or whatever. In New Zealand, in Christchurch, in 1985, there was nothing. <laughs> so my captain, Javed Mia, that explained it to me. This is steak. He ordered a steak for me. I didn't know what steak was. He said, this is a steak. This is knife and fork. That's how you eat. Wow. This is salad. These are chips. And I learned that on tour. And then I never looked back. I I then I realized I had to learn every culture to, to get evolved as a person, not as a cricketer. If I, if I evolve as a person, that will come into the game itself automatically. And that has helped me a lot. Lancashire, I arrived there in 1988, about 19 year old, uh, Lancashire County. Those days, uh, it was big job to get, for, you know, to find a job in Lancashire. County cricket, you could only allow one overseas player. Yep. And you can register two, you can play with one. So it has to be a top player. For some odd reason, they picked me up. And I couldn't understand a word for two months. <laughs> Mancunian accent. <laughs> A Cooper T lad. I said, what? <laughs> so there, there, mate, there's so many things to explore there because we hear so often every time Pakistan comes out here, there's some quick bowler that's been discovered. So we'll get to how you were discovered and got to New Zealand. But at, at what age were you, and there's no time for modesty, at what age did you start to realise that you were a better cricketer than the kids you were playing against? I think when I was in class 10, I was about 15 or 16, maybe 15 maybe, because I realized I played a couple of games where I bounced these kids at my age group and they got hit on the head. And when you're 15, you really bowl a bouncer. I mean, you very rarely can bowl such a quick bouncer. And then I realized I've got some, you know, I, I'm better than these kids. And that gave me a confidence. And then from there onwards, uh, you know, I used to play with a tennis ball uh, on the road. Steam used to play me 10 rupees per game. I was so good. I used to bowl yokers. <laughs> used to, yeah. And then I could bat as well. And then, you know, after you, when you finish your school, your 10th grade, you get three, four months off. You get your result. You apply for your college. So uh, one of my neighborhood uh, cricketer who used to play first class cricketer, he asked me, he saw me playing with tennis ball around the area. He said, why didn't you play with cricket ball? I said, Khalid, his name was. I said, Khalid, bhai, first of all, I don't have the funds to pay monthly to my cricket club. Huh. And second of all, I don't have a bicycle to go there every day. Wow. He said, don't worry, I'll take you. So for a whole month, that Khalid guy took me on his motorbike to the nets. And I got used to it. So I used to go to nets at three o'clock in the afternoon. I used to get a ball at three. I used to finish at six o'clock. Three hours I used to bowl every day, just bowling, left arm bowling on. It was a, it was a half concrete uh, pitch, half concrete, and in uh, and in that ground there were about twenty clubs next to each other. One, two, three. There were hundreds of boys playing. You were ducking for balls everywhere. <laughs> so then I got picked up for a college team. That my numbers were that great to go to a good college, but I picked up on a, on my cricketing ability. Went for cricket trials got picked up on Cricket Quota, one of the top colleges in Lahore. And first year, uh, my wife, my captain was a left-arm fast bowler. So he didn't pick me. He didn't pick me for the first year. I was a 12th man. And the second year, I got picked up for Pakistan team. <laughs> ah, and how? I tell you how. There was a camp in 1984, a summer camp. 
by Pakistan Cricket Board. There were 100 cricketers were invited. And my club, I was performing well for my club. They given my name as well. So I went there. And first four days, nobody looked at me. Nobody, you know, there were 100 cricketers, first class cricketers. And I was just standing, you know, back of the line. And I, fifth day, I went to my club. I asked my captain there. I said, look, there's no point me going to that camp because nobody is giving me the ball. He said, don't worry, you go tomorrow. I'll have a word with the camp commandant. So the next day I went, he gave me an old ball last 10 minutes. Somehow I impressed him. And the next day he gave me the new ball. And uh, then I got a lot of wickets in nets. And during that camp, Javed Miyadat, captain of Pakistan team, came to practice into the Qaddafi Stadium. And that was the camp was held. And uh, he said, I want some bowlers in this different net. Javed Miyadad, I had his posters in my room. Imran Khan, I had his posters in my room. And he was there and I was just looking at him and I, I was in awe that my ideal is just standing there. And my uh, camp commander told me to go bowl at him. Really? I was over the moon to bowl at Javed Miyadad, the captain of Pakistan cricket team. And uh, three, four of us went there. I bowled at him. I, I think I, I, I nicked, he nicked one of me. He got inside that bowled. Wow. And I impressed him for some odd reason. And the next day he came back into nets again. He asked for me to send that bowler again. Then he, then I gave him, uh, then I impressed him again. And then from there onwards, the New Zealand team were meant to tour to Pakistan. So he asked the selectors, I want this bowler to play this three-day game against New Zealand. Selector said, who is this guy? We never heard of this guy. Javed Miyadha said, trust me, I, I think this guy got talent and you must uh, uh, get him in the squad. So next day, there was a squad announced to play against New Zealand. My name was there. I mean, my family, myself, we were in shock. I mean, how can that can be possible that I got picked up to play against New Zealand? And then I arrived by train to Lahore, to Rawalpindi. There was that where the game was. And nice hotel, five-star hotel. Never been to five-star hotel in my life. Got daily allowances, quite a bit of money. I said, that sounds fun. That looks fun. <laughs> and then the next day, game day. There were big names. I didn't know who they were, by the way. Uh, John Reed, Martin Crow, Jeff Crow, Jeremy Corney, wow. uh, Jeff Howarth, uh, 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 Chatfield. All these guys were there on that tour. And I didn't know who they were. So I got picked to play in playing 11. There was a, another shock. I thought I'll be in the squad. You know, I'll practice and stuff like that. Then I got picked up in playing 11. I don't know how I got 7 for 50 in that game in the first innings. 7 for 15? And second innings, I've got 2 for 50. So the obvious question, then you went to New Zealand, and we'll get to your test debut in a moment, but but in Australia, there's a pathway. Sure. If you're a talented cricketer, you'll continue to move up the pathway and you'll get your opportunities at higher levels and you'll play for Australia. Yeah. The Pakistan way, which still seems to happen today, it's different, not better or worse. It's very different, as you'd explain. Are there guys that slip through the cracks or does talent, even in that ad hoc system, still end up in the national team, do you reckon? Probably we don't have good enough system like you guys. That's the reason. They probably will, like you said, slip through the gaps sometimes, some talent. 
And in my case, I got picked up by Javed Niyadad out of the blue. And uh, uh, I remember when I was captain in 93-94 to New Zealand, uh, to West Indies, I was only 24 years old. I picked up a guy from Nets, Ahmed Nazir. He was a net bowler. Right. And I had an argument with the selectors. We took him on the tour. <laughs> he got three wickets in first ODI, won us a game. <laughs> well, he's got his first wicket in international cricket and what a wicket he's got. That obtains who fails again for the West Indies. Amir Nazir will remember this moment for as long as he lives. Desmond Haynes, Richie Richardson, all these guys. So yeah, uh, our system is not as consistent or as good as Australia's, that's for sure. That is the end of Wazim Akram Part A. So much more to come on the flip side. See you cool cats there. Listener.